Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here with our editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. How are you, Jill? Hi, Danny. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. We were just discussing Halloween, my favorite holiday of the year, uh, and the fact that not as many people did Barbie as I thought they were going to. I was certain there was going to be so many Barbies. Our producer, Sarah, was just saying she didn't see any. I didn't really see that many either. Maybe everybody thought everyone else was going to be Barbie. Are you like, good? No, it's... it's neutral. I don't care either way, but I just was certain there was going to be so many Barbies. I'm Can sure there were a good amount. Can go on but. the Digiday team reporter? Yeah, we had Nicola a Digiday McCoy. reporter. She was I think I had one other Barbie. friend who was Barbie, and that was it. There anyway. were some good Barbie looks for the people who did dress up. I'm like, where are they getting these? Did they put them together? They're really good. Jill, you were telling me you're going to be Barbie next year when nobody expects it. That's the <laughs> smart move. That's the smart move. Throw you for a loop. Uh, <laughs> so this week, we're going to be talking about a couple of fun things. So first, we're going to talk about um, Canada Goose, which had some earnings this week that uh, were not great. And we'll get into what's going on with them. And then also, we'll connect it back to some of our conversations about luxury in general, which is in kind of a weird spot. Um, then we're going to talk about Watchbox uh, with a big announcement this week of our rebrand and acquisitions and partnerships with Rolex and a bunch of stuff they announced kind of all at once this week. And then finally, we're going to talk about Aloe Yoga uh, reportedly seeking a $10 billion valuation, maybe going to try to IPO soon. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about the possibility of that. But let's start with Canada Goose. So as I mentioned, they cut their earnings forecast for the rest of the year earlier this week. Um I saw that they had their longest ever streak of declining stock price or share price. Um, and they've kind of seen flagging sales in North America for a little while. And they were, I think, hoping that rising sales in China would be enough to kind of make up the difference. Uh, but that does not seem to be the case now since sales in China are slowing as well. Um, that puts the whole company in kind of a weird spot. Uh, I think sales in the U.S. were down 11% in the last quarter, which is not great. Um Anyway, so it's I, I mentioned that it's kind of similar to stuff we've talked about with other luxury companies. A lot of them thought or were thinking that maybe they will be able to survive the inflation and economic crises because their customer is more insulated. But I don't know. It doesn't seem like that's really happening. And I do consider Canada Goose sort of luxury-like. Obviously, they're not like a Maison or whatever, but the coats are very expensive and a little bit of a status symbol. I don't know. Do you agree? Would you call them luxury? Would you put them in the same grouping as the, the conversations we've had about like Prada and LVMH and all that? Uh, I think so, just because it's appealing to a higher spend customer. But yeah, the I guess it was the CEO, an executive, was talking about how basically they're the luxury house, luxury company of Canada, like, um, and talking about how um, they're doing it differently they, than the European brands anyway, but um, they've got their own luxury thing happening. I, it's, They're in this weird in-between area, right? Like they're not Montclair. That seems, which I feel like that is probably a competitor or somebody that's maybe taking market share because they have, they're the go-to, they're known for kind of fashion meets practicality. Uh, like they're mm-hmm. warm, they're good. They're doing these buzzy collaborations. There's also like the Arrivals that does great outerwear. and But that also seems more a fashion shopper. And then when you think of luxury shoppers, like quiet luxury is still trending. Everything, <laughs> Canada Goose has the big old patch on it. This is Canada Goose, yep. not exactly quiet. So I feel like they're in this weird 
middle area, but I would also think that they're somewhat gorp core, which is also still trending. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I actually think Montclair is probably the best point of comparison. Um, and I just looked into them and they had earnings, I think, last week. Their revenue was up 7% this quarter. So that's very different than uh, Canada Goose is being down 11%. But it should be said that Montclair's the 7% increase is a slowdown from like mid 20% or that they were seeing in the last two quarters or so. And also, I, I'm not sure about this, but I imagine like this is the quarter right before autumn and winter, you'd think that's when people are buying new coats and stuff. And I don't know. So that's, it, it seems like the other, the competitors in the sort of like big luxury, expensive outerwear parka space are also kind of struggling a little bit, or at least slowing down a little bit. Um, but Montclair does seem to be doing a little bit better than Canada Goose. Yeah, I don't know. I, I know that, you know, they've done a couple of things recently, Canada Goose. They've uh, stopped using fur, and uh, I think it was like two years ago, maybe. Um, some other kind of shakeups to the brand image like that, but you're totally right about the the big red patch that's very ostentatious is definitely not in keeping with the the trend we've been seeing towards like no logos and kind of more understated sort of stuff. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't know. The, the way that they were positioning this slump, which you got to put a positive spin on it, of course, but... Um, really just saying we're focusing on direct sales and it seems to be like direct sales are up, store traffic is up, what's down is wholesale sales and that's intentional is what they're saying because they're streamlining wholesale, they're focusing on some kind of smaller specialty stores but that that have kind of good brand alignment, they want to be there. It's about, um, yeah, just like a marketing moment um, and pulling out of some of the larger de department stores, even though they still are in department stores. So um, it's what, how they're spinning it is kind of just like, wait and see, this is, this is meant to be. <laughs> and I do think, like you said, quarter before cold weather comes, probably people are shopping, but I think a lot of people just wait till it's actually cold and go, Oh shit. <laughs> I, I felt, yeah. I feel like a better quarter is to come. Which in New York, I should say, we're recording this Thursday. Wednesday, yesterday was the first day it actually felt seriously cold. Like this past weekend in New York, it was 80 degrees at like the very end of October, which is insane. So uh, I think that's a, a little bit of a portent of how the climate, as the climate continues to change and get warmer, I think that's going to screw with some of these companies that are really focused on cold weather gear. I was going to say, it's supposed to be a warmer winter, which some of these brands that do a big outerwear business are talking about. It's kind of a threat. Um, and I don't, I, obviously this is a luxury uh, coat that's practical. I just remember I lived in Chicago probably now eight, nine years ago and took the train everywhere. There was this uniform that I always kind of like rolled my eyes. I don't want to say it's basic, but everybody, <laughs> everybody was the uniform was a Canadian Canada Goose um, coat, but it was freaking mm -hmm. cold um, and it did the job. But also, I mean, and they paired it with a, a long champ. <laughs> tote. Anyway, this is the combo and like some Sorel boots. But like we were cold, but there was like a practical luxury thing happening. Um, and I'm sure anyway, I'm sure the very cold cities 
that's where they're placing their bets in terms of retail. Who knows? I, I yeah. don't know this for sure. Yeah, definitely. And they're based in Canada and Canada generally is much colder too. Um, I also was thinking, you know, if we're if we're thinking about Canada Goose sort of in the context of like aspirational luxury where they have people who maybe are not regularly buying Louis Vuitton bags or whatever, but will buy a Canada Goose coat. Um, I think an, a really nice parka, really functional, is something that people will splurge on. But I also think it's not something people will buy multiple of or buy regularly. Um, I imagine if so, there are a lot of people who own a Canada Goose coat and like that's the only coat they're going to buy and they're not also going to get one from Montclair or something. Or if they buy one from Montclair, they're maybe not going to also buy one from Canada Goose. So I would imagine that it's a little more competitive too for that reason. Um, and then ideally these coats last a long time. So someone might buy one Canada Goose coat and then you don't see them again for several years. Um, so good I'm sure that's something there. I'm sure they're probably factoring that into it. I was going to say, I, th I think some of those brands like Montclair and the Arrivals have tried to branch out a little bit from just big parkas. Um, I think Canada Goose does that too, right? They they sell more than just the parkas. We will keep an eye on how those those brands kind of all compete. Um, definitely is a good point mentioning the Arrivals. I kind of forgot about them, but they're such a cool brand. They're so um, cool. <laughs> let's move on to our next topic, which is about Watchbox, um, which is an online kind of pre-owned watch resale platform um, one of the bigger ones, actually, and has been around, I think, since 2017. Um, but they announced a bunch of stuff this week. They are buying two large jewelers, which is Radcliffe Jewelers and Hyde Park Jewelers. They are becoming part of Rolex's certified pre-owned uh, watch dealership program. Uh, there's only two other companies that are selling them at the time, at, as of right now, which is Bucherer and which is now owned by Rolex and Watches of Switzerland. And then on top of that, they are renaming themselves Watchbox. The whole company is now the 1916 company, um, which is, I got to say, not as catchy as Watchbox. Um, <laughs> I think from what I could tell, I believe the name, the 1916 company, is from the year that Govberg Jewelers was founded, 1916. That's one of the companies that Watchbox already owns. And the co-founder of Watchbox, Danny Govberg, is a member of the eponymous Govberg family. So I think that's the idea behind the 1916 company. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I wanted to talk about this because I feel like luxury watches are such a huge category. Uh, and there's so much interest in Swiss watches. And there's also a lot of consolidation, a lot of acquisitions, uh, a lot of investment, a lot of movement in this whole space right now. Um, Joe, what are your thoughts on Watchbox uh, announcing three like pretty huge changes all in one day, basically? I feel like it's a big deal. I feel like the timing is really interesting. No, like I feel like we just talked about Rolex uh, and the Bucher. I hate I hate how it's pronounced. And you told me this. Bucherer. You steer me yeah. wrong. Bucherer. Um, <laughs> you want to say Boucheret or something, Boucheret. but it's it's, it's it's German pronunciation, not French pronunciation, <laughs> yeah. I think. But like that just happened. And then there were all of these, everybody was freaking out. Like, is Rolex going to, Rolex owned retailers, are they going to dominate the space? Are they going to consolidate their inventory there? What's going to happen? Um, and Watches of Switzerland, we talked about a couple weeks ago, like they're I don't know, stock plummeted when that happened because they're also mm -hmm. a very large retailer. Um, 
So it's interesting. Maybe Rolex is making a point, like, <laughs> um, because they're rolling out this pre owned to 1916 company. Because anyway, and it is a larger company to say it's fine, guys. <laughs> but also, they probably mm-hmm. want to get their, um, they want to build their pre owned and their, their main business um, at a time when watches are, this is how people are shopping. Watches are booming. No signs of slowing down. What is the the stat out there? But anyway, it's not slowing down. Billions and billions yeah. and billions of dollars of growth. <laughs> Go ahead. I, I have I have the stats. Um, yeah. So the interesting thing about Watchbox is now they will be selling through their various uh, companies that they own, both pre-owned watches and uh, new watches, and that's including the Rolex certified pre-owned watches and ones that are just kind of certified by Watchbox themselves. Um, so the stat that I found was that the market for new Swiss luxury watches is like $53 billion a year, but pre-owned is actually also very big and very close behind. I think right now it's about half that, but it's on track to be like $35 billion in the next two years. So pretty close to the market for new watches. They're both huge businesses. Um, and Watchbox and the 1916 company, as we should call them, now kind of are pretty thoroughly in both sides of that business, which is just huge. Um, and you're right, I think Rolex kind of taking them on as a new certified pre-owned client is is interesting because before it was just Bucherer and um, Watches of Switzerland, but then when Rolex bought Bucherer, then it's like there's only one company that's not owned by Rolex where you can get the certified pre-owned Rolexes, which I think you're right, sends a little bit of a weird message to the industry of like how how cooperative Rolex is going to be. And so bringing in another one right around the same time, I think you're right, is like a little bit of a signal. We're not just going to keep this in-house. We are going to still try to maintain these partnerships with our our dealers and other parts of the watch industry. Yeah, I feel like watch this space because they... Um, watch Danny this Gov- space. Watch, Very clever. No pun intended. <laughs> um, Danny Govberg was saying something like, we want to be... The goal is basically to be the biggest certified pre-owned Rolex dealer. Right now, they're at like 20 doors. And we know Bucherer has like over 100. So are they going to be acquiring more retailers? Like where is that growth going to come in? Maybe he just means in terms of sales. I'm not really quite sure. But he was being also clear in some of these stories that I was reading about their intentions where they want to do it differently. I think it's really interesting because we recently have done stories about these cigar, um, I guess, members clubs. And anyway, it's appealing to the Mm -hmm. luxury um, shopper. And they want to bring people in who are collectors in the same way. Um, And the new Soho houses and all these members clubs sprouting up. But they're trying to cater to, which I think you have a story in the works, to the collector and bring collectors in, give them an opportunity to, I don't know, geek out and hang out and talk watches um, and turn their locations into these member, the next Soho house. I think they even said these words, the next Soho house, these members clubs and make them places to come and schmooze. (laughs) Yeah, no, I definitely think you can see evidence of that in this announcement because You know, Watchbox is a a digital platform. There's a ton of online watch resellers and marketplaces. There's Bezel and Wrist Check and, you know, Chrono24, which has been around for a while. But there's all these, like, online kind of, like, startup-y ones. Um, But as part of this whole rebrand, they bought a bunch of old-timey, like, physical jewelers. I think now they have five physical stores in their portfolio um, 
or maybe five jewelers that each have a bunch of stars. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how it works out, but they added a bunch of physical locations now that are all kind of like in the portfolio. And it definitely seems like that's a, an area of focus. I think they don't want to be just, you know, the cheap, fast online, but it's not cheap, but you know what I mean? Like the fast online casual way to buy watches. It seems like they're kind of moving into that more, um, you know, owning these fancy stores where people come in and make appointments and there's clienteling and all that kind of stuff. That's a staple of the luxury business. Um, and is a staple that a lot of the brands that they sell like Rolex also work with. If you want to buy a new Rolex, you have to like take a Rolex salesperson out on a date or something first to like <laughs> get it. It's, it's, uh, it, that's like a big part of the, the industry. So I can see how 1916 is now trying to sort of integrate all that stuff. For sure. Side note, just because it's always fascinating to me, and I just think we need to do more on these folks' portfolios. But did you see that Michael Jordan is an investor in Watchbox? Anyway, it's just yes. like fascinating to me. Like, what else is he investing in? I want to know. Well, Jordan, the brand is so huge. And he's, you could argue he's like one of the biggest like names in fashion, just in terms of pure like revenue, because Jordan is so big, the brand again. Um, so yeah, I think he does invest in a, a lot of stuff. There's also a lot of celebrity watch enthusiasts. Um, I feel like I could rattle off a bunch of celebrity names that who I know for a fact are like huge watch people um, because that's kind of like the clientele that the the Swiss watch companies cater towards. Um, so yeah, there's I think there's a number of watch kind of startups that have celebrity backing as well or who have at least like collaborated with celebrities like that uh, G-Shock, Hodinky, John Mayer collaboration from a little while ago, that like powder blue G-Shock, which I thought was so cool. So He's cool. a big watch enthusiast. Um, I'm pretty sure Michael Jordan is too. And, and I know there's more. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm sure they're influencing people to become collectors as well, since more people are becoming collectors and it's more so than just being smart investors. They want to be like John Mayer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, let's talk about Aloe Yoga. Um, so there was a report this week. It wasn't officially announced by Aloe Yoga, but um, Reuters reported that the company is seeking uh, a huge round of investment and they're aiming for a $10 billion valuation, which is huge. Um, they've recruited an investment bank to kind of help advise through the process and they're uh, considering maybe selling a stake in the company. They're talking to sovereign wealth funds and private equity and all that kind of stuff. Clearly gunning for... A huge valuation, which I would assume maybe they then want to go public with. Um, it seems like the idea is probably to compete with the already publicly traded big athletic wear companies like Nike or Lululemon, probably Lululemon mainly. Um, I don't know. Do you think that is a good idea, especially given some stuff we've talked about on this podcast about getting a humongous valuation and then going public and how that does not always work out in the company's favor? Yeah. Yeah, I think they do a lot of things um, that are against the grain. And I, I think they're very, like, independently minded. I mean, we talked about they had <laughs> Kanye West on their podcast when he was, like, being very controversial. Anyway, I just think they, they're kind of more, I don't think they want that. <laughs> I don't think they want to do that. I don't know. Maybe they'll do it. But I feel like what they decide and what Kim decides, and it's going to be very telling about people, about companies. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, ind independence, like what 
companies are capable of or what, I don't know. What do you think? Like, I feel like there's a lot, there are a lot of very large, buzzy companies that are on the verge. Yeah. You hit 1 billion in sales. That's the time that everybody starts asking the question. Um, anyway, I, yeah. you said very recently you've, we've seen go public and then kind of a downturn. Why yes. is it happening now in your eyes? Like that's not always, that is a new thing. Yeah, that's that's not always the case. Um, I do think that part of it is uh, like a lot of, I, I, a lot of things not just limited to fashion or even just like retail or consumer products. There's a push for bigger bets in the hope for a bigger reward, even if yeah. it, also could possibly be a bigger crash. Um, I feel like you see that in like movie budgets are bigger than ever and every movie has to make a billion dollars or it's a flop or like crypto. I felt like everyone was like, what's an even more volatile, even more <laughs> risky yeah. asset to invest in? Um, I think that a lot of the companies who have been going public recently have really overvalued themselves. Like Aloe Yoga seeking a $10 billion valuation. Skims is valued at like $4 billion. And Skims, I think, is more, is buzzier. I, I'm not sure if they have like similar revenue, but Skims, I think, is probably could more easily justify a higher valuation. I don't know if Aloe Yoga should be twice as, val more than twice as valuable as Skims. Um, Viore is also around $4 billion valuation. They're also considering an IPO soon. Um, I think that's maybe a little high for them, based on just my gut feeling. But um, I, it seems to me like the smartest companies tend to underplay their value. I wrote a whole briefing about this on Glossy a couple of weeks ago, but I think uh, the first couple of days of an IPO can be very influential. And if you start really high and then you go public and everyone is, doesn't believe in that valuation and your very first day of trading, you drop like 20%, that does not set a good precedent kind of for the, the future. Um, but if you start high, you know, you can kind of almost like fake it till you make it, like just convince everyone that like, you better get in on this because we're valued so highly, we're, we're so valuable. And sometimes it does work and people buy into it and then it, it starts high and goes up and that can also set a precedent. You know, it, I think investors are human beings and as much as we like to think there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a really a lot of smart people who put a lot of time into analyzing what's going to work and what's not, but also people can be swayed by narratives and investors will buy into something if it feels like it's going to be a win and they won't if it feels off. So yeah. anyway, that's a long-winded yeah. way to say, I think $10 billion is high for Hello <laughs> Yoga. And uh, I think they might go like the Birkenstock route of like going public. And then on the very first day, they're their share price goes down and it's like kind of embarrassing for everybody. Yeah. I wonder about these, like they're more digitally native brands. They're all about the authenticity and the transparency. And there's so much talk about maintaining control of the brand and what it's DNA. And that's why I'm like, I don't know if they'll go there. I do think that Aloe does need, uh, deserves a larger valuation than skims right now, actually, but I don't know mm. about 10 million, but um, it's just, um, I see it as like, you know, Revolve still doing great, but it's like the Revolve of our time or of right now in that like they're on the wellness wave. Um, everybody's mm -hmm. wellness, wellness. And it's like the it girl brand. Like Lululemon is m more um, like 
the general population, even though it's luxury yeah. and it's hot. But in terms of like the aspirational, in terms of what's hot on social platforms um, and the it girls, the Taylor, Haley, Kendall, all these people, um, it has that going for them. They've expanded to beauty. They've expanded to wellness. We just had a, a beauty and wellness dinner um, and the VP of innovation from Aloe was there and she was talking about uh, now like their wellness uh, brand. They're, you know, you see that like people running on TikTok and they're like popping those gels, which I never knew what that was. But they've got like those gels. They've got all like the hot wellness things and they're selling at Sephora. They're also selling that at like Erewhon. So they're like expanding beyond their own channels to these retailers. I just feel like they're doing a lot of good, like timely things. They're moving fast. Um, and they they know what they're doing. <laughs> like you go on there yeah. and they know that they're targeting the social savvy person, which who isn't social savvy now, but you go on their site and they had like one of the top, the top, I guess, uh, panels that said hot new styles you've been seeing all over your feed. And it had, because, and I was like, because you serve them up because like it had the same image that I'm seeing of like, Candace Swan pole or whatever, the Victoria's Secret model that I'm seeing in ads on my feed. Um, anyway, they've got me, they've got me sucked in. But anyway, yeah. they're doing a lot you know, of I, things right. I think that's that that's a really good point. And I was also thinking about how competitive this space is, like the activewear, athleisure, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I mentioned Lululemon and Nike and other kind of companies are already public. And then there's Viore and Skims who are maybe going to go public soon. So I wonder if it's sort of like if if Viore and Skims both go public and Allo Yoga hasn't, will that hurt their potential IPO when they come out and it's like, oh, well, these two other big buzzy activewear brands just went public, so we don't need a third. So I wonder if there's a little bit of a race going on almost between these three or there's certainly some feeling, I think, of of competition in terms of who can be valued the highest, who can go public first, who can do all these buzzy things that you're talking about and work with the different influencers and celebrities and stuff. So yeah, it just seems like a very tight space. Um, and if they all kind of like go public around the same time, I can imagine a lot of stories will be written about who's doing better and, you know, and every little cent of uh, up or down between them and their share prices is going to be analyzed for sure. Yeah. And if we're comparing the two, it kind of will say a lot about the so the celebrity face. What Skims has is the Kim Kardashian. Like Aloe doesn't really have that other than their like, I don't know, click <laughs> their crew of influencers. So um, I don't know, like what works better? And is it too risky to put all your eggs in the Kim Kardashian basket? I feel like she hasn't done anything too weird. <laughs> anyway, she seems pretty safe. Yeah, for sure. Um, Jill, thank you so much for doing this podcast with me as always. It's so fun. Agree. <laughs> For, for those of you listening, don't forget to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to this podcast because that helps us out so much. And don't forget to subscribe to the Glossy Podcast because you'll hear Week in Review episodes with me and Jill every Friday and every Wednesday. Usually Jill, sometimes me, will interview some cool industry insider. Uh, Jill, who's up next? Uh, who's our next guest? The coolest. We have uh, Molly Howard. She's one of the founders of Laline, which is mm. speaking of cool LA brands um, or, you know, celebrity, celebrity beloved brands. It's a hot one. So check it out. 
yes, I, I've, I've spoken with Molly. She's great. So that's going to be a good episode. Um, once again, thank you, Jill. And for those of you listening, see you next time.